Welcome back. Logan live from New York, Alec in Minnesota, Minneapolis. And we're coming at you talking about, well, a lot of things. It's a platter of things from art to sports to esports, coronavirus. We have a guest. What does this all mean? We're putting it all together for you. I don't know how well we're putting it together, but we're trying our best. It's a buffet in a podcast. A podcast Enjoy. buffet. It'll be great. It'll be great. Coming uh, to you hot. <laughs> yeah, we just, we started recording and we're just right into it. So no, no open, no nothing. So we're going to No get, apologies. Here it is. Here it is. What is it? Week four? Week four. We've been doing this for a month. One month in. Woo woo. Keep it up. Keep listening. Just questioning assumptions of why do we think that we're right in this current moment. I think it's funny because it's like history definitely repeats itself even across industries because you can say the same thing about art, right? A lot of Absolutely. painters are not recognized as the best of their time until years after their death. And they're either somebody, the right person discovers them, sees their work, realizes that there's a movement happening and someone is like a, a clear change maker for the way art transformed or something like that like it, it, it's it's so interesting that like works in their time aren't appreciated and then looking back they are if there's like you know there's this retrospect right. but to that point like what if we're wrong could be said about like we were wrong because at the time we didn't recognize this as, as a true grade of art but right, it didn't exactly. take away from the way we moved forward or did it, would the world have looked different had it been acclaimed or the beginning it was written and where would we be now? So like that was, it's a really interesting parallel of almost like these multi-dimensions that could be kind of that play with your imagination in terms of like how it could all start to influence each other. Right. It's what, yeah, it's like a, existential question that can never be answered right right um what do you think of like like high art like jackson pollock or lichtenstein or jasper johns like i guess more so, specifically like a pollock like i don't know to me like it's such like abstract like modern art. not necessarily modern art i think for i guess the sake of argument like abstract expressionism to me is like if you're a successful abstract expressionist um you're like really good at post-rationalization and bullshitting about the meaning of the random shit that you did on a canvas yeah like i have a really hard time being like oh pollock's 13 is just so mesmerizing the strokes are just so inventive and blah 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 it's like he like did some shit, a 
art collector or a gallery curator was like, hey, this like fits a theme. And that's how, I mean, that's how the art industry works, right? Art isn't like some like, oh, art is art and art is good. Art is essentially run by a very small group of people who deem what is good and what is worth millions. I mean, so I'm going to answer your There's part. a lot there, yeah. I'm going to answer it in a few parts with some more questions. I don't think, I agree that I probably don't understand Jackson Pollock to a similar level that you don't. Like, is it the art that I want on my walls? Is it the art that I find depth in? No. But to like the same point, the books you're reading are not books that I would read. So for the same thing, Pollock didn't create his work in the idea of mass appeal and his way of expressing himself comes through a certain form. Many like other artists like choose writing or choose film or whatever, like this is his form of translating whatever, whether it's a feeling or a, an inspiration or whatever. And I think people do find value in it. But I will say that to your point, what is deemed worthy of a top dollar bid or what is an exclusive brand or something that's far overpriced is all deemed by, you know, it's all centered around people that are change makers who are influencing society. And I think we see this all the time in fashion at, in most, right? Like there's a lot of fashion that I love and there's a lot of fashion I don't understand. And like, sometimes you see the runway and you're like, okay, that's like a really insane piece of clothing. Like who would ever wear that? But the idea is like, it's not always ever meant to be worn together. Like those are multiple pieces that you have to now dissect and appreciate for each moment of construction. And the first Monday of May was this week, which is the like inaugural Met Gala. And it's like one of my favorite spring holidays because I think people come to be extremely creative and do something really beautiful with clothing. And it challenges its designers to specifically design for that event and specifically design for a type of person and like how it's going to reflect the brand and reflect the person wearing it. And I think there's a lot to be said about people and like what they deem exciting is both like something that they like that's keen for their eye and it's also something that like it's a status thing like to own that thing like puts me in a different echelon in society and I think there's so much weight to be like perfect these days that it's exhausting but fashion is one way one place where we see it happen every season there's a new line of something coming out from this new artist or we have up and coming designers that were like, who maybe not couldn't afford the, the fashions that they now admire and are either making them for others or making them for the people that could always afford it. And it's really interesting kind of how perspective changes, but the way I view like high couture fashion might not be your palette and like might not be something you want to like look at, but just the same way as we like, we probably don't like the same sports and things like that. So I think it all kind of plays to like, nothing is meant for everyone. And while we don't necessarily understand the same, like we're on the same boat about probably like expressionism and like the Pollocks, like 
there are that wasn't what it was made for and i think that's the cool part about art is it's supposed to say something different for everyone and modern art in general is like really tricky because especially like even if you think about like there's the um oh what's his name he signed the toilet our mutt and oh. it was just it's a urinal and it's just his name on it with yeah. a year and that became art and so many and like that's often so criticized and like one to easily make fun of but like it's just like you know it's just a things are but yet it's like acclaimed work so it's it's a little goofy and i think it it kind of bodes itself to the idea that it's all made for different viewpoints and different you're always gonna everyone's gonna get something different out of it so yeah i, I think i don't know i i think the i think like fashion as art and things like that I, is more understandable right i think to your point like a runway show or whatever you might see something and it's not most of the time it's pretty obvious that that's not something that like you wear every day or right right that it is like fashion as an artistic outlet versus like a functional design for consumers right. um but i think it like exp yeah modern art expression abstract expressionism is very much calls into question like what is art yeah the day old question day old the age old question. yeah because age old wow yeah, it's been a long day yeah. <laughs> it's only um, 24 hours old <laughs> uh, um, i said it and it did not sound right and then yet i was just like no that's the phrase it has got to be, be it. yeah um <laughs> a month old question <laughs> because i yeah to me like how many other pollocks were there that have like a similar style or a similar aesthetic that were never deemed to be a Pollock, mm -hmm. you know, like that never reached that level of acclaim. And where does that, if it's art and it's all about expressionism and creating for the viewer or for creating for yourself and leaving for the viewer to interpret, then the having art priced at millions of dollars versus something that might be very similar that's twelve dollars you know anywhere yeah like the distinction between what those two things are and what difference there is between them is very very unclear to me a mystery that keeps on giving who is so the man that decides all this? Have I, you seen, or is it a man? Who knows? The, the being, the aura of art. The aura. Um, there's a really interesting documentary about art and like kind of the industry of art and how a lot of it's like essentially just uh, investment and tax safe haven for the uber rich. Um, mm -hmm. on HBO, it's called The Price of Everything. Oh, I've heard of this. I highly, highly recommend it. It's very good. Um, now that we had that aside of things that we had zero plans of talking about. 
That's how uh, life goes. Yeah. Indeed. What did you do in quarantine this week? Um. Well, I. Uh, Wait, are we at day fifty-seven? Dude, we're up there. We're. I think that we are. I think. I think yeah. we were day fifty last week when we recorded. Sounds about right. So <clears throat> we're almost a full two months. Yeah. I will say, uh, quarantine in Minnesota is starting to is becoming much much looser. Um, it's. I don't. Know, I think it's interesting because there's a lot of there's all this talk of like masks and gloves and reopening, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, like not even the police are wearing masks in Minnesota. Mm, they're definitely wearing them here. That's interesting. And so I've seen one, I've seen a much higher police presence, like just sitting out on my balcony. Uh, there is, I see way more police than I did pre COVID, which I think is interesting. Um, and yeah, I said, I, I went for a, longest stroll with my grandmother on set on sunday Lovely. and i would say i would say like 10 percent of people are wearing masks um, that's insane but i went to the grocery store today and i would say like 60 to 70 percent of people at the grocery store are wearing masks so you're still allowed to enter businesses without wearing them yeah because in New York, like, we cannot go into a business without wearing our mask. So it's yeah. like, if people are out and about, they're probably doing errands and they're wearing their masks because the they business will not let them in. Yeah. Yep. And so, yeah, at least in Minneapolis, like, um, yeah, you can, there's people walking around without masks on inside businesses. Most businesses are still closed like you can't actually go inside sure um but yeah masks aren't like super ubiquitous around here which is interesting this weekend nypd were handing out masks for free in the park so if you were someone who needed them you were you know you could go find um a police officer in the park and they would have them readily available for you which i thought was a cool effort for people who may not have had access to them previously um there was some you know people pushing back saying like this is what um you know this is like privilege and it's finest because people are out enjoying their day in the park and and then nypd officers are giving them but i think the reality is you know the text subscription service that i have from the city for people who live here um, that updates us multiple times a day had promoted this as a free effort from the city for the citizens of the city and i think it was a cool thing and you know hopefully those who needed the masks were able to go um, to the parks and get them so i thought that was a cool effort but yeah i mean totally opposite right like they're still handing them out expecting that you're wearing them and i will say here if you're not if you're exercising like cycling or running you're not wearing the mask but if you're doing general walking or like whatever you're out and about then people are generally wearing them now i did do some biking through the west village and chelsea this weekend 
and a lot of people were out on the riverside, like um, just picnicking, rosé, you name it. Yep. It felt like a very normal summer day. Yeah. And there were maybe like, if it was a group of four, maybe one person was wearing a mask, like the responsible adult. But other than that, like people felt that they were like sitting far enough away from their friends where they didn't need the mask. And I think there's, you would be overproductive in, in, in like just wear the mask to protect yourself. But also if you're sitting six feet away from somebody, you don't necessarily need it. So points to be made for both sides, but if you know the people you're with, then I think it's, I think it's fine. There's a lot of uproar about it, but I think the parts of the areas of the city that I saw, while packed, at least the people that they were sitting with, hmm, excuse me, in small groups, they were um, at least six feet apart, you know, from each other. Now, if you look in the media and you see these photos of New York City, blah, 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 it's obviously paired with like some sort of fear headline but if you take the if you take the photo from the right angle it's going to look like a really crowded park and no one's obeying the rules but i was actually impressed with the amount of space people were giving each other which i thought was uh appropriate yeah and same <clears throat> same as for like space in minnesota like people like nickel island all that kind of stuff people are staying away from each other um there's just not a lot of masks but it's like i mean it's packed i mean if people, but everyone who lives in Minneapolis seems to be out and about. Um, have you seen, is there like, would you say there's like noticeably less people in Manhattan? Yes, 100%. There's no tourism right now. Yeah, and I think a lot of people who probably live in Manhattan who have the means to be in other places probably left. 100%. Right, it's like if you have a house in Hamptons. Like you're not yeah, there, I mean, right? if you, I'd way rather be out in the Hamptons, but also it's really funny because it's like people who are like, who are born here, like there's no other place I'd rather be. I want to be in the city during this. So yeah. some people are like, it's separating those who claim to be New Yorkers and the real New Yorkers, like who stayed for this and who didn't. And like, yeah. I, you know, like there's so much available to us here that like, there's no real need to leave, but if I didn't have to sit in my studio and I could have outdoor access, like I don't blame anybody who took advantage of like going to their other For home, sure. especially if you have children and you want to let them like oh. run outside yeah. versus like you're most likely like you have a smaller apartment than you do a house. So like go take advantage of that if you have the means 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just curious, assuming that it's been. Yeah. And then noticeably as the weeks go on, people are leaving and, you know, I've had conversations with friends, like, you know, maybe we all go and take three weeks off and like, just go visit family or do something and get out of the city for a little bit, especially more so from the fact of like, we have freedom from work to like, right. do something and we're all away from family. So like, maybe take this time to be with people that we normally wouldn't get to see. Yeah, I'm taking a week off at the end of the month. So good for you. My VP did something cool. He announced today that we're going to implement like more of um, a flexible vacation policy for the summer that will get a few more days off and like with kind of like get a schedule out there regarding like who will be off when and like, like what weeks so that we're not all taking the same time off, but knowing right. that we've all been working so hard and that we're all confined to home that we can have a few extra days for the summer. 
which I will be really appreciated. Yeah, has there been, <clears throat> I've kind of stopped following the news because it's all pretty horribly done. Tricky. Yeah. Um, but has there is there like a, any sort of guidance or plan on next steps for New York or is it still just kind of like locked down? So we're on lock. I think we're on sh- like, well, they're not calling it shelter in place. They're calling it something else stay at home something or yeah. whatever but safer at home whatever yeah but um stay in place that's what they're calling it. <laughs> um that's supposed to end on the 13th so extended. it consistently feels it consistently gets extended although we're definitely on the downturn in terms of like the amount of cases that we're getting per day yeah but if like events from like this weekend or nicer days are going to receive another spike then of course it's going to be extended but i would love i would love for next week to come with good news but i think a lot of people are going to extend till the end of the month which isn't a, i mean i don't see any of us returning to our offices until the fall at the earliest so yeah i mean it's going to be interesting. Like we just had kind of like the first earnings cycle as far as like stock market. And um, you also invested in an IPO. I did a new one. <laughs> I'm taking a risk. That's actually, I think it's going to all the time. Right. I mean, it's legalized it's gambling just, on companies. My VP would argue it's not gambling, but I say it's, calculated risk and whether or not it pays off or not and that could just be gambling in itself depends on the artist and the viewpoint right (laughs) (laughs) that's how this all circles back Um, so obviously when we talk about if we've ever invested in something we're not saying that we're smart and we're doing the right thing but so this is obviously no place to be like go do this thing but absolutely not there are I no, have no idea what I'm doing. Not a no clue. idea. But you know what? We're trying to be a part of the conversation. And I feel that is in itself smart. I'm meeting with a financial um, planner later this week to go over mm-hmm. other options to make sure I'm staying healthy. But in terms of a new IPO that was recently launched, so in the midst of all of this insanity, DraftKings launched into Go Sports that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what sports, I guess we can talk about that in a sec, but they launched in 2012 and they were a single daily fantasy sports product. And you could make bets on players, performance on a range of various sports. So today they have three tiers to their business. They have the daily fantasy sports. They have the sports betting and then they have online casino gambling. And oh, I didn't know that. Yes, they do. Oh, they diversified, that's... I think, in 2018. But online casino gambling. Yes. So like okay. Like you could just like play blackjack or whatever on their site. All right. <laughs> Alec is loosen up his shoulders. I'm ready to go. Very good. I um we'll check in with Alex's bank account next week. <sighs> I miss it. <laughs> I just play. I only play the slots, so I'm just a slot slot. Boring. 
well, sorry, I like the pictures and if I win, it's fun. Um, so you can only do sports betting in six states, but, and that goes back to policies and regard, and New Jersey like recently had made it legal. It's like this whole thing. So the cool part is like now you can buy stock in this company. That's there's an increased trend for people to be able to bet on sports and make it more widely available for people to make money off of their favorite teams or their favorite players um, for a wider wide range of sports. But coronavirus, COVID nineteen has had quite the impact on this group of activities and so can i sorry i just want to interject real quick interject so legalized like betting on sports was illegal for a long time at least mm -hmm. as i understand it and then was federally allowed pretty recently um but it's up to the states to individual states to govern sports betting so yes. different states and, have different policies and it looks like the six states that um that you can currently legally gamble on sports are colorado indiana iowa new hampshire new jersey pennsylvania and west virginia to clarify this the teams don't have to be from those states you just you can have live to be, there and bet yeah. on any of the the teams that are available to bet on. Right. And, but due to COVID-19 and like big public events being canceled like crazy, there are like no, there's nobody in the stands or in the audience. So most major sports events have been canceled, suspended or postponed. Like our alma mater was due to win the national championship for the third year in a row for hockey. And that was taken from us from COVID herself. It would have been three out of was... the last three years, but we would have won. Yeah. Been in Turkey. Okay. Yep. So, okay, so let's talk about this because yep. we did a lot of meandering to get to sports. So, so here we are. <laughs> DraftKings goes public in the midst of all this insanity. Their main claim to fame is to bet on sports. There are no sports happening. No, so them going public is a huge risk because there's absolutely nothing in their portfolio right now for people to enact, like, interact with or even bet on. Right now, multiple sports are talking about whether or not they're going to release their activities if they can do it safely. So for example, NASCAR, now whether or not you claim this as a sport is a totally different conversation. But for this, for the purpose of this podcast, we're going to say, let's say they, so they've announced that it will still host its 36 cup series races this year. And which would be interesting, right? I mean, they can all social distance fairly well. The teams that work on the cars are, it's, they're small enough. And right. each racer is in their own car, obviously social distancing from the next driver. However, to date, eight races 
have been postponed while still flirting with the idea of holding racer, races without viewers. So yet, all the, none of their races have been officially canceled, only postponed, and the entire season keeps getting pushed back. And yet they're committed to having 36, a 36 cup race series. That's wild. But so nobody in the stands to cheer them on. I think this, like, racing is such an interesting sport, motorsports yeah. in general, because I don't, motorsports for the most part are, they're not, I, I grew up in a car family, I've been to a fair amount of uh, motorsports events, and most of them aren't super engaging for the in-person audience. Um, I've never been to a NASCAR race. Um, I've only, I get only been to ones that I think would actually be interesting to actually be there. So like drag racing, um, drift events, stuff like that, where it's a small track or it's a short track. So you can see beginning to end, you can see the whole thing versus NASCAR. You're seeing like a quarter or maybe half the race and F1 you're seeing an eighth of the race things like that. So I don't think not having fans in the stands for racing is a huge deal. So I've been to a NASCAR race. I was at Texas Motor Speedway as a kid because I grew up in a NASCAR house. And I didn't know that. Interesting. Right? Fun fact. And I, I so while I didn't go to the race itself, my parents went, I went to the qualifier. And I will tell you, that the fans that this draws out, the energy in the stadium is so much like any other sport I've been. It, it, the energy is still there. Yeah. And while you're all wearing these like insane like ear muff type thing, right. Right, people are screaming. And depending on the course, so every course is built differently. Right. So to your point, yeah, you might only be able to see a certain amount. Texas Motor Speedway, it's a giant oval. So you can still watch the cars go all the way around. And when they're like, and it's almost better when they're farther away. Cause when these, when they're right up in front of you, it's like so loud and it's like 150 laps of that. Right. So I will say that it was just as exciting as like, and I was only at the qualifying race. So like they're only going around a couple of times to get there to see what spot they're going to take when the race launches or when it starts the next day. But I think there's a ton of excitement and energy around it in just a totally different way. Like one of your senses is totally manipulated and yet you're there to like consume it all in all its glory. And there's a lot of fun, you know, there's something fun about watching the cars do what they need to do and the, the talent of the drivers to either like move throughout the track to gain a better position or just like maneuvering through an accident or whatever. I just think there's, there is a lot of talent there. And, but to, I successfully, I think that they could successfully hold an event and it wouldn't be an issue if there was nobody in the stands. The only depressing part would be when the driver wins and they get out of the car and they go to spray the champagne or whatever, there's no more of a, right. 
of applause from the audience or even from their crew because no one can really like jump in and like get excited. Right. So that I think would be the tricky part, but that's only one fraction of the entire event. The event itself and sports in general, it's a, it's a lot about the players, but in terms of enjoying it as a fan, the atmosphere is really fun. And of course the players like, like to bounce off the energy, but in a, such a confined space like a NASCAR, race vehicle you aren't really enjoying the audience you're so focused on just completing the 150 laps right and that's what i mean like as far as like the interaction between the fan and driver it's already so limited so limited having like being able to do those races like it's not really a big deal um versus like something like a basketball game like it's so much more intimate between like you have people sitting three feet or you know literally sitting on the court right yeah so it's so much so much closer so um yeah i don't know i think it's gonna be really weird uh the ufc has an event this weekend may 9th interesting um i'm very excited because i haven't seen sports in two months so um i'm gonna find out how i can watch that fight and watch probably every single fight on the card. Um, but it's going to be in an empty arena. So that'll be kind of the first, I think kind of the first litmus test of how weird are sports without fans. Yeah. Um, and then also I think this is going to kind of usher in the opportunity for a new way of consuming sports, right? Like basketball, the NFL, baseball, we have kind of like these segmented areas in a, in a game that are built for TV timeouts for people who are watching at home so they can sell ads, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But without a, without a in-person fan experience, how do you level up the experience for someone who's at home? Like what happens with production? Uh, what platform is it delivered on? Right. All these different things are going to be really interesting to see. Um, we might even see an increase in sales and cable because people will be right. so desperate to watch, to re or like sling, right? Yeah. Because people want access to the live TV because it's going to be something different that we haven't been able to have, like we haven't had access to over the last few months. And people are like looking for new things at this point. Like what was once keeping attention is no longer the it's not the element that people are like i guess what was once keeping people's attention it's like that feels old and i'm tired of that so anything new at this point that we're able to reintroduce it's going to be really popular right away right right um i mean it's crazy to look at so back to racing um they did these virtual races and this is a part of like Esports and esports kind of probably be like its own episode because there's so much going on with that. Um, Travis, if you're listening, hit me up. We'll do an episode about esports. Yes. Um, but I, 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 don't, I, I go back and forth with the esports. Something like racing, I think, is interesting because racing isn't necessarily like an athletic ability. There's definitely like, I guess. Depends on how you want to define athletic, but it's it's strategy. It's um, 
hand-eye coordination, reaction times, you know, mm-hmm. like gut feeling instinct. And so you have these people who race online virtually with simulators and they have, you know, thousand dollar simulators or these professional racers have $20,000 simulators that they actually use between race weekends to practice on the track that they're going to the next weekend. Um, right. And they've been streaming with NASCAR drivers and F1 drivers. These drivers are professional drivers in their simulators racing against each other online. And so, and it's been, from what I've seen, it's been wildly popular and people seem to love it. Let's see, I'm looking for like streaming numbers, but uh, that's something you can do with NASCAR or with F1 racing because it's still, you can recreate the actual um, tactical elements of a race car. You can have the steering wheel and the foot pedals and Mm -hmm. the shifter and all those types of things. You can have a pretty close representation of actually doing the real thing in a virtual environment with a race simulator. Uh, But that's not something you can recreate with like the NBA. No. Right. Like someone playing 2k is not the same as someone playing as the Lakers in NBA 2k is nowhere near the same thing of watching the Lakers play. But there's something, you know, and there's that other additional element. Like when I go to a game, when I go to the Vikings game, I want that malt cup. I want right. that pretzel with the cheese. I want to wear my jersey. I want to be screaming with my like co-fans. You do the skull chant in the stadium. Doing the skull chant. When I'm at a UMD hockey game, I want to sing the fight song. I want to like be jumping up and down in the stands. I want like I want the roar. I want the energy and like. Right that is the part that's going to be totally lacking here and people go because they love the camaraderie that that surrounds these teams and like the best i think one of the funniest things that i've as both people who grew up in minnesota the hardest job that a minnesotan ever accepts is being a minnesota sports fan because it's again being (laughs) let down but yet we're faithful and i think you know, even coming from a state where sports aren't the strongest, you know, tool in our kit, we, we continue to go back for the community and like the awesome arenas and the experiences that surround it. So nothing will replace the in-person. And I think, especially as like soccer was on the rise, like it's becoming more and more popular like with United, like I think there's just like some really cool things that were happening with sports and like the overall like and like what did the future of the NFL look like is like obviously something that people have been asking more and more about like is Corona going to have longer like more impact on this industry than we think based off not just like in terms of like people showing up but in terms of interest like is it going to change based off what's being able to become more readily available or are people going to still stay faithful to the sport that they love the most? Yeah. I mean, like we'll, and it's all, it's all going to be, I mean, maybe we'll start to find out this fall. Like we'll see what happens with football and like, do they open up us bank stadium and let 65,000 people pile in and watch football? I have no idea. 
Uh, like, is spring training even happening right now? Uh, or like baseball? No. I mean, they, they were about to, the season was supposed to start, I think, like April 12th or something like that. Um, but yeah, like, so it's like, see, I, this is how much I follow baseball. But yeah, I mean, they do spring training, like catchers and pitchers and catchers report in like February. It's, and that didn't happen. That did happen. Or it did they, happen. Yeah. And then it all got shut down for like, they started playing spring training games, or I think they played a couple, and then everything got shut down. Dang. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. One thing about, uh, Minnesota soccer. I went to a couple of the Loons games last year, and where is it? The Loons. Yeah, isn't there Minnesota United too, or no? Minnesota, uh, Minnesota United, I think became the Loons. Ah, okay, fair. Um, or maybe I'm crazy. Maybe it I is just know. United. I thought they were the Loons. Um, but at the like at the end of every game, the entire arena sings Wonderwall by Oasis and it's just this weird like quirky thing I had no idea what's happening the first time I was there and everyone like stands up and starts singing Wonderwall I'm like what the fuck is going on uh but I guess it's something that like it's just these weird like quirky community building things that everyone's kind of missing right now and so is there a way to recreate that through media presentation, through, like, something? Or do we just have to – are people just going to, like, wear hazmat suits and go to games? Or is it going to be it safe gonna to be, go to games? Like, who knows? It's going to be the 7 p.m. when everyone's, like, taking – like, you know, yelling and cheering for the healthcare workers. Is it going to be something equivalent where all of a sudden when the game's on, you just scream out your window and start singing the Wonderwall song? Yeah, like, to, yeah, do you, I, yeah, I don't know. So, by um, FYI, we're both right. The team is Minnesota United, but their nickname is the Loons. Okay, that's what I thought, but I could be very wrong. The Loons, that's so fun. The so stadium is brand oriented. new. There's I don't even know like, where it is. It's in Midway. It's uh, 94 and Snelling, oh, just south of okay. the state fairgrounds. Um, Love it. Is there anything else? This was a very meandering conversation without much well, structure, but it was good stuff. I mean, we have somebody coming on the podcast today. We do. Um, and yeah, that's a great point. Um, Blake is going to join us after we play this music. Blake's here. Hi, Blake. Hi. How's How it going? It's going great. It's wonderful. You like how we pretend that we haven't been talking for 10 minutes before we start the recording? Yeah, that's pretty slick. And uh, I also want to say now that we are recording, is there some deal here um, that I'm going to get like royalties when this episode makes a ton of ad money somewhere down the line? Yes. Okay. That, <laughs> you're making it sound like that's a no. Well, I was shaking one. my head no. We can we can work out royalty de- deals later. Like um, when your episode well, yeah, you takes off. Talk to off. my agent. Yeah. yeah, exactly. 
Um, so yeah, we talked. We've like we said, we talked a lot about sports stuff. We talked. I mean, we talked about books and art and sports. It was very interesting. It was a first buffet podcast. It's, it was a buffet, a buffet episode. It's a little bit of everything. Um, but so college sports. You're obviously uh, a college tennis coach. So you've been in the in the thick of the chaos. Yeah. Agreed. Um, okay, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but um, will you tell us the <clears throat> kind of the process of like, oh, coronavirus just kind of picking up what steam? Happened? What happened? Yeah, and then sure, like from like, the, <laughs> essentially like seasons going great, and then oh, everything's canceled. I mean, I think it's it was kind of similar to what happened like in in America as a whole, you know. I think we were all kind of sitting around on our couches just going like, huh, that coronavirus thing, kind of hearing more about it in the news. And then all of a sudden we were locked into our houses sitting on our couches hearing about coronavirus for the next three months. And that's like, that's literally, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Like we were, we were practicing, everything was going on as usual. And, you know, I mean, there wasn't even, honestly, there wasn't even a hint of it. I think the first time that I started even getting remotely worried was when um, there were a couple colleges that decided to go online. And I don't even remember what colleges they were. Um, they weren't in our conference. They weren't in our you know, region or anything, but they were going online. And it was kind of like, huh, that was, that seems like a little bit, you know, a little careful, a little conservative, but uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see if they made the right decision. And then before you knew it, it was just a landslide. I mean, it was, it was basically, it was like a Thursday and the first couple, you know, the first couple balls fell and then the NCAA tournament got canceled. And by Saturday, everybody was done playing. <laughs> and that was basically it. I mean, we were, we were practicing on a Friday, I think it was actually, no, it was a Saturday. And, um, yeah, our athletic director came out to the courts and said, your matches for the weekend are canceled and uh, everything is postponed until further notice. And then we had a meeting, you know, the next week on Monday and basically everything, like the whole season was canceled and it was just like that. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing that's so crazy about it from a, a college like coach's perspective, at least is you try to prepare your players for everything throughout the whole season, getting them to perform at a high level is all about like, you know, having as little, um, as little things that come up that are unexpected as possible. And then <laughs> you kind of just get caught with your pants down and everybody's looking at you like, all right, coach, you know, this is kind of a shitty situation. What are we going to do? And you're like, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Well, now you so, have a uh, pandemic the, management in your toolkit for no pandemic playbook. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the thing that's so terrible about it too, is like, wouldn't it be so cool if, um, if you somehow were the only person in America that had to deal with a pandemic and you could put it on your resume, it would <laughs> yeah. be so awesome to be like, yeah, you know, first season of college tennis coaching had to deal with the pandemic and everybody be looking at it like, Oh my God, look at this dude. Like he figured out how to navigate through this pandemic. It's, 
And it's like, okay, no, that's literally everyone. Like we all had to deal with it and like, <laughs> you're getting nothing out of it. It's just shitty for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, how long after, so the season kind of got canceled on a Saturday. How was it like the next week that campus closed or was campus still open or how long did that take after sports were done? No, I mean, we, we really wanted to stay open as long as possible because we have such a, like a huge population of international students. Yeah. And that was one of the first things that, I mean, we had to sit down with the president. Um, I don't remember when that was. It might have been, it might have been later in that same week. And basically, um, you know, they didn't want to close because closing the campus would mean that all of these kids that were living in Haiti had to go back home, which potentially could be a lot worse situation for them than hanging out in, you know, in Clarksville where they're for the most part isolated and protected and have their food and their, you know, and all of these resources for them uh, to succeed that would just get ripped away from them if they had to go live, you know, and be basically doing online class. So, I mean, and honestly, a lot of these kids, like there are kids that I recruit that don't have internet. And the fact that the SATs and ACTs got canceled, um, a lot of universities switched to test optional for application processes so they can get accepted to university without even having to do those tests and the thing that they don't take into account is well test optional means you have to write an essay and you have to do an interview over the phone and you have to send in your high school transcripts and these kids the high schools are closed and their their parent you know their teachers don't have computers at their houses to type up letters of recommendations for them and, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just so crazy. Like, so those people definitely got le left out in the wind a little bit. Um, and for us, like we never actually fully closed down and that was the big priority for Ozarks. And that's why it took so long for us to move partially online is because we were worried about supporting them. And we ended up making the decision that like, more or less it's your choice. Like you can move online, every, all the classes are moving online. Um, but you have the choice to stay in your dorm for the remainder of the semester, get all the resources and your, you know, iPad and all that stuff that you would have if you were living on campus and everything was normal. And, um, and the people that chose to go home, obviously it was a better choice for them to leave. But yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a weird, I mean, that was basically the reason why it took so long. Um, but long in this case was like two weeks. Right. I mean, it moved so fast. Everybody, yeah. everybody was so, I mean, I think the thing that was the most scary to, you know, the boards and the presidents and the people who are running these universities is the, um, the idea of getting sued. Um, probably not by the students, but probably by the faculty um, because the students are carrying the virus and they infect some, you know, 70 year old professor with tenure who, is claiming that, you know, he's been running class uh, without using an iPad and using a, you know, a projector for 30 years. And, you know, yeah. he can't run class online. And what's he, online? <laughs> but but he, he's not protected for running class in, you know, in person. And then he gets sick and, you know, who's viable. So I think they're running through all of those scenarios in their head. And, the more and more you think about it, the more you just go, oh my gosh, it's just a better option to just cut, cut the cord right now, you know? Yeah. 
and get it over with. Yeah, and we have seen like there are a lot of class action lawsuits against universities now from students about they are like they're not getting refunds for room and board for services that they're not getting because they're doing online school. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing the thing they don't realize is that money is gone. It's gone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's not <laughs> been so fast. You have no yeah. idea. The university doesn't keep that money, you know, in cold storage for the for the year and then spend it when the year's done. Like right. they're paying hourly. The, at least I can tell you from our experience, like our university is in a great situation financially, which is awesome. And one of the things that we were told right at the beginning was that hourly staff was going to be taken care of and they're going to be paid. And we did refunds to our students on top of that, to the students who left and the students who stayed. Um, but not all the universities are in situations like that, especially big right. universities. Like I saw the, the, uh, the story, it was on like Carol Evan or something. Some mom was complaining um, about how the University of Minnesota refunded her daughter like $1,500 when in reality she paid like $3,500 for housing. Right. And, <laughs> you know, I think that's just a fundamental misunderstanding of how these universities stay afloat, financially speaking, and how they can afford to, like, keep keep moving and keep evolving in the, um, you know, in, like, the race for huge stadiums and practice facilities, but also, like, amazing libraries and handing out iPads to everybody that goes there and, you know, all of the resources that these universities have, it's because tuition goes up $500 each semester or, you know, housing goes up $100 each semester. And like I said, that money's gone. Yeah. <laughs> that money is spent. So it's just kind of one of those deals. It's like, w which one would you rather have? Because it's unfortunate that you didn't get, you know, the full, uh, you know, the full experience of you like paying for the room that you paid for. But at the end of the day, like that institution might not even be there in another 10 years. If you take such a huge chunk out of it, because you're filing a class action lawsuit, because you're at the end of the day, like you're, you're going to, you don't, you know, you're going to pay a thousand extra dollars on a loan that you're going to probably that, Elizabeth Warren is going to give you for free in 10 years, you know, like, right, there you go. <laughs> it's just, it's just kind of trivial in the broad scheme of things. It's goofy for sure. And then I think like the cool part is like, if anything, like to their point, come the fall, you won't have to pay room and board because you're not necessarily living there if they're fully online still. So you'll yeah. just have to worry about tuition. Your technology fee will probably be through the roof because they're going to revamp over the summer. But moving forward, if they don't ever get the money, they're not gonna be able to spend it. So, yeah, I don't know. And it so, will be interesting to see. I mean, because we're already seeing like Urbana uh, is a college in Illinois that went under there, and that's just the one that I remember recently. But you know, sports programs are being cut left and right. Uh, colleges are going under, and I don't know. It's just one of those things where I I, I feel like at the moment. Um, the places that are being affected the worst, at least from a college perspective, are the colleges that are already doing bad. Yeah. And it will be interesting to see, um, you know, I, I, I can't remember what university in California, uh, I think it was like Cal State or something like that, announced that they're going online for fall 2020. 
already. They're, they just announced it. They're doing it online fall 2020. And, uh, you know, if other universities have to make that decision, then you're very quickly going to start to see, I think, universities that were in good financial standing start to be really hurt by it. Um, and that will be the real telltale sign. It's when like universities that were doing well, uh, aren't doing well anymore. Right. Yeah. So. And yeah, cause like they got to start, they need to start cutting costs and then you're like, well, you can have, you know, you can have 400 people in a zoom call. So we might as well just start putting 400 people in all the lectures. So we'll have less, uh, less teachers. So we can cut costs that. I don't know. There's gonna be a lot of weird things that happen. Um, intro to bio always has 400 kids. Right. So you're fine there. <laughs> yeah. And like the reality is an online school costs way less. Like when I was working at Fordham here in the city, like our operating costs for having real estate in Manhattan are insane. So it's like, yeah. now people aren't even going to be in the dorms. Like if they choose to close, like they're not going to even, they're not going to have anyone to like back pay that any of those mortgages or any of like just like the facilities fees and yeah like they're gonna just need less staff like there's it'll it'll be a be an interesting time for sure hey you don't have to pay ras you don't have to pay janitorial staff you don't have to pay mm -hmm. building maintenance like there's a huge trickle-down effect um but and this is something like we talked about before but even like colleges uh trying to lift the threshold for division one status. Yeah. I, I can't remember what, uh, what conference that was. Um, but it actually Mark Emmer came back and rejected that proposal, but it's just another example. I mean, people are looking to cut cost, and yeah, the, the proposal was from some conference. It was division one conference. Um, and it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a big five conference. Uh, I feel like you said the Sunbelt, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, but the proposal was basically waive the, um, waive the requirements um, to be a Division I university for four years, <laughs> which the requirements include um, if you're an FBS team, you need to have 16. You need to hold 16 athletic programs um, at your university. And if you're a division one, you need 14. And that's a pretty good limits test of like the health of a, of an athletics department is how many programs you can hold. Um, and yeah, they were, they, they were vol. I mean, they were really, really pushing, um, you know, athletic directors and boards of these schools. That's a pretty big deal to have them all write a letter to the president of the NCAA saying we need, we need help you need to loosen these restrictions. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what would happen if that, if that actually would, was put into place, but it's kind of, it's kind of just another example of how it's a little scary. It's just a little yeah. for college athletics. It's kind of scary time right now. This is with pretty much everything. Yeah. And cause you would imagine that if they lift those, those uh, restrictions that you'd have, colleges that just cut all of the programs that aren't revenue generating theoretically yeah and it's uh the thing is the football is the big is the big thing honestly right. because football supports so many other programs um at universities um 
it's really the revenue generating versus not revenue generating. Um, you know, with Title IX, that's not as important as is just making sure that football is doing well. <laughs> no, right. If football does well, then you're going to be okay at, at most of those schools. Um, but, you know, the things, the, the fact that they put together financial strategies for every year and, you know, yeah. that includes tuition costs and how much, you know, enroll, enrollment goals that you want to meet, um, how much you're going to pay your staff and all those things go into, you know, the financial strategy. And then you just get a huge chunk of it just taken apart. Um, like the schools that are going online in fall 2020, I have no idea how that factors into what they thought their financial strategy would be um, because they won't be able to charge those kids the same amount that they would have before. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, the same you thing don't goes have for athletics. athletics. Like, right. You have budgets and if the if the money sports aren't competing and that's the big i mean for for this past year like you know the ncaa not holding march madness took such a big chunk out of you know the revenue stream right from the ncaa and uh you know that the spring yeah just the spring championships in general getting canceled too that takes so much more money out of the ncaa and if that happens again in the fall um yeah, I, you're going to see radical changes. Like, I don't really know if people understand um, where the college sports are currently in this, in the mix of all of this, but they're, they will understand very quickly if that happens, because that will be, that would be disastrous. Do you, so what are your thoughts about like them competing with no audience, <laughs> no spectators? Like, I think it's fine. I mean, it's fine. Um, for, well, for the college, honestly, for football, I'm not, uh, I'm not an expert on like where the money comes from, but a lot of it comes from TV, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm sure, I'm sure that, you know, broadcasting the games, figuring out a way somehow, I mean, it's it, the, the thing that's so difficult. Like when you talk about sports reopening in general, the one thing that is getting thrown out a lot is the bubble, you know? moving the NBA to Las Vegas or to Disney world and just having, you know, 12 teams there playing like a round Robin, whatever tournament to end the regular season and then playing the playoffs or something like that, you know, and all these scenarios, you're isolating the team. Um, You're not even allowing it, at least what I've seen. And that's, this is the big, um, the thing that a lot of the players have a problem with. You're not even allowing like family there because right. I mean, right, for example, right now in Germany, they just started playing professional tennis again. And it was like an eight player round robin tournament. And they kept popping up on the graphics on the tennis channel, like the, the steps they had to take in order to even hold this event in Germany, which Germany for in large part is doing okay compared to other countries, um, like per million uh, population deaths, they're doing well. Um, and they they have basically the players there by themselves which for i mean for professional anything it's nuts you don't have a coach you don't have a sports staff you don't have a physio you don't have a hitting partner i mean literally in between matches these players are just kind of laying around waiting for the next match to start and trying to stay limber i guess i don't know (laughs) but um the the there's one umpire you know all of the 
all of the food um, is provided by this one catering company where everybody is being tested and it's being cleaned nonstop. And it's just like, literally this tournament is being run by like, you know, 20 people. <laughs> and that, if you, if you take that and then try to apply it to like Michigan versus Ohio state college football, I don't know how that works out. Like, <laughs> I don't I have no idea how that works out unless something radical changes, you know? Yeah. Right. And going to football games, I feel like is such like, it's a quintessential college experience at those universities. That's like, that's why you, that's why a lot of people go to those universities is for like Saturday game days in the fall. And so even if you are on campus, like, and you, like you can't go to a Ohio state big 10 football game. Like that's a huge, that's just like a morale destroyer on universities. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't, the, the, the attendance thing, it just seems like is not even in, in like, it's not even a question right now. Like it's just not going to happen anytime soon. Like all the, that tennis tournament is, you know, an example that was done. There's no audience in that. And right. I don't know when that's going to change. Like, it sounds like, you know, it sounds like nothing will happen at this point without the approval of the government. And then after, you know, after America, after Donald Trump or Anthony Fauci, whoever's making that decision decides to let the restrictions off, it'll probably be, you know, I, I don't think that it's going to happen automatically. I think they're still probably going to, I don't know if the NCAA is going to say, all right, now we're just, you know, no hands barred. We're just back, back to normal. Yeah. So um, I don't know, but the, the one thing that I keep seeing over and over again is how uh, these division one universities are going to try to start to switch to more of a D three model because it's just more sustainable. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, it, that, that might be one of the things that you'll see in the future is, you know, from a D three standpoint, a really healthy program, um, isn't necessarily a program that like competes at a super high level. That might be the bar that you set as a coach, but um, from the, the top end down, like probably one of the most important things is that you meet your goal for numbers on a team, you know? Right. And that's it. And, you know, the teams like division one teams are probably going to be looking at it the same way and going, how much money do we put into this division one tennis team and how many players do we need on this team in order to make that, you know, a somewhat uh, reasonable equation for the university. And if there's no way, if there's no way in like to make that reasonable, that's when you might start to see those sports just getting cut. Yeah. Um, we're running out of time. Oh yeah, we are. Um, what are your thoughts on, I think we probably have the same thoughts, but, uh, the NCAA finally letting <clears throat> athletes profit off of their own likeness. <laughs> Did that happen? I didn't hear anything about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, starting 2021 players will be able to make, will be able to profit off their own likeness. YouTube channels, Instagram brand deals. You know. Yeah, that was a joke. I know that's like literally the only thing everybody wants to talk about. I, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Hopefully it will result in more like or less stupid 
like NCAA violations. Yeah. You know, that for, for me personally, it doesn't matter at all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens when another Zion comes along. Um, right. You know, exactly. Somebody signs a shoe deal coming out of high school. I, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what we started talking about. Like what if someone like at 17 signs a shoe deal with Puma and then uh, the college they want to go to is a Jordan brand school. Who knows? I, I, I mean, honestly, I think, I don't know about that. I mean, if they, if they allow shoe deals, then they're going to allow shoe deals and it won't matter what, you know, brand the, you know, Kids the college is. Yeah. And, and who knows, most likely, you know, we've seen, you saw this with the, the scandal, the basketball, college basketball recruiting scandal um, that happened a while ago. Like, you know, by and large, the, the big scandals that happen are, they're the reps, like for these yeah. companies, these mm-hmm. shoe companies, it's not the coaches that are involved in this. It's the Adidas guy saying, Hey, you know, you played oh, yeah, on our AAU Adidas team. Now you're going to yeah. play for Kansas. Yeah. And then you're going to go from Kansas to the NBA and you're going to be an Adidas guy for life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think the interesting thing, honestly, will be like, I mean, cause I've been watching this Jordan documentary right. and one of the things that's so fascinating is the way that Phil Jackson coached those teams. And uh, you know, it's, you always see stuff like that as a coach. And I, I tend to go immediately to like, Oh my God, how many idiots like idiot high school and college basketball coaches are going to just look, look at this documentary or, you know, they probably with Phil Jackson, they've already read his book and all this right. stuff. And, and they're, they're thinking to themselves, I have it figured out now. I know exactly how to handle this kid. I'm just going to like, let him go to Vegas for 48 hours yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. You know, yeah. the same way that the a whole generation of people who want to be entrepreneurs are like, Holy shit, I'm just going to fill my closet with black turtlenecks and jeans and right. treat everybody like crap and not take no for an answer. Steve jobs, here I come, you know, right. like, <laughs> that is the exception to the rule. It's not the actual rule, you right. know, but I think it's fascinating because that type of coaching seems to work. Um, to a certain extent and the NBA because these guys have made it to that level and just kind of look at player like beeline at in you know in Cleveland this year it didn't work yeah. by and large because he's teaching these guys fundamentals day in day out in practice and Kevin Love is like dude I think I got it figured out like, <laughs> I am I am the fundamental know? yeah but it, it, that dynamic I feel yeah. like in large part is due to the fact that like these guys just make so much money and mostly way more money than their coaches make. So if their coaches don't treat them like adults, you know, and allow them kind of to make their own choices, um, as long as the end product is the same, then they kind of look at that, like, dude, I'm not a kid anymore. And it would be interesting to see, like, if somebody comes into a college program and has a crap ton of money, all of a sudden, like, yeah. is that, is that going to completely change like the culture of college sports? I think that's one of the big things that I, I see, like, that's a reasonable, that is a reasonable reason to be kind of um, pessimistic about putting money into amateur sports. Cause that is, that's one of the main attractions is that, you know, you're playing for a, a bigger purpose. You're buying into the team and these guys right. are all working together and they're putting their egos aside. And I don't know, it might change that. Hopefully, 
yeah my hope would be that the people who can who end up getting like big shoe deals or whatever the people who are athletes that draw that much attention will then be allowed in the nba to just go to the nba or in basketball to just go to the nba straight out of high school which would be great if you're talented enough go for it um okay before we get kicked out of this meeting because we don't pay for Zoom, because <laughs> who's going to do that? Um, We're not sponsored. Not yet. We need some, we need on, some ad ref. Um, what uh, best movie in quarantine? What's or top two? Top two movies in quarantine? Yeah. yeah. Well, like three. I, not, I know you're watching a ton, so. Yeah, I'm watching everything. If you haven't seen Contagion, obviously you have to watch Contagion. It's on Netflix. Go for it. It's just eerie. It's yep. just like eerie how similar it is in every way to what's going on right now. And it's just a good Steven Soderbergh movie. Um, God, I don't know. What movie? I've been watching a ton of TV too. I just, I just rewatched season two of Succession because... Why not? So fucking good. So <laughs> good. <laughs> Yeah, it's awesome. God, it's so good. I can't wait for that. Can't wait for the new season to come out. Yeah, if it ever does. If it ever does. If anything so, new ever comes out. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. All right. That's it. We're getting this, it done. This intro and outro, outro might just get cut off, but that's okay. Uh, thanks, Blake. This was fun. Thanks for having me. Good to see you again. Yeah, you should, uh, if you ever want to come chat again, you're more than welcome. Okay, well, as long as my internet's still running. (laughs) Unless we we don't all have to go into our bunkers, I'd love to do another podcast. All right, cool. All right, peace, everybody. Take it easy. Bye. Adios. Adios.